0: Hey there, listener. In case you hadn't heard, we're taking the show on the road again this coming Monday, March 18th. We want you to be there. We'll be at Nice Guys Pizza in Cape Coral, and they're opening just for us that evening, so we want to fill the room. According to Facebook, like 70 of you say you're interested, but according to the spreadsheet we're keeping of our SVPs, there shall we say, a discrepancy in the count. So send an email to mysongstory at wgcu.org or leave a message at 239-590-2519 saying you want to be a part of what's sure to be a hilarious and heartfelt episode with Nice Guys Trivia Master Mark Davis. Seriously, do it. The more the merrier, and there'll be a fully stocked bar to help us along. Now, on to the show with our biggest get yet. One, two, three... Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the podcast that forces our guests to pick just three songs that help tell the story of their lives because of the memories they contain so we can get to know them better. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canire. Our guest today is Joshua Johnson, a name most public radio listeners are probably quite familiar with by now. Joshua is host of the daily show 1A that's produced out of WAMU in Washington, D.C. and distributed by NPR. He was born and raised across the state in West Palm Beach, the only son of a public school teacher and Vietnam veteran. His Wikipedia entry says he became interested in journalism as a kid and was inspired by African-American journalists like Ed Bradley, Bernard Shaw, and Dwight Lauderdale. He graduated from the University of Miami and got his start in public radio there in Miami, working for a collaborative project between WLRN and the Miami Herald from 2004 to 2010. After a stint as morning newscaster at KQED out in San Francisco, he hosted the radio series Truth Be Told, which dealt with issues of race in America. Its four episodes were broadcast nationally. He also taught courses in podcasting at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. In September 2016, he guest-hosted the Diane Reem Show for two days, and then in November she announced he would be taking over her time slot, and 1A premiered at the beginning of 2017, and we've been carrying it here on WGCU ever since. While Diane Reem had big shoes to fill, to say the least, at this point I think it's safe to say that joshua johnson is walking tall in them now and we are so so honored that he agreed to do our little show hey there joshua johnson how's it going mike thanks very much glad to be here did you really not know you had a wikipedia entry I don't think about that kind of stuff. (laughs)
1: I'm sure I do. I maybe should have crossed my mind at some point to check it and make sure it's right. But everything I heard in the intro was correct. Well, then
0: whoever wrote that out there in the world, they got it right. Much appreciated. Thank Um, you. Have you
1: been to Fort Myers before? Years ago. I'm sure I've passed through as a little kid at some point. I'm from West Palm Beach. And so we have traveled all over the state. Gotcha. But you never came here
0: for shows or I guess we go there for shows. Yeah, not really. Not that much. Okay. What was the musical background of your childhood over there?
1: Gospel, jazz, r and B. I I was born in 1980, so I'm about the same age as hip-hop. So all the, like, early rap and hip-hop music uh, back in the days of Yo! MTV Raps with Fab Five Pretty, that was my soundtrack growing up. Um, all the, you know— Pop music of the 80s and 90s, everything that was early MTV, Mm -hmm. um, that was my – You were the sweet
0: spot for that early MTV. I
1: really was. Early MTV, all the artists that came on the Arsenio Hall show Uh from the late 80s to the early 90s, those were in my playlist – uh, lots of different kinds of music. I might, and also you know, theater because I was always a performing arts kid. Oh, okay. Um, well, we'll soul music. My mother had you know crates and crates of
0: LPs, so yeah. I got
1: songs in the key of life on LP. So I I got a a, a little bit of everything.
0: So that was going to be my next question: is is that you had your music, but what was your your parents' music? What was the music they had um, in their collection that you maybe peeked into?
1: A lot of overlap. It was a lot of you know jazz and R and B and. And funk and soul music. Uh, my grandmother loves Mahalia Jackson, and we listen to a lot of gospel. We listen to a lot of uh, community radio stations in and around West Palm Beach, particularly black-owned stations that would play a lot of the latest, like hip hop and R and B and rap music. That would do community talk shows, or that would do you know gospel music every morning from eight to noon before they switch to like reggae music. <laughs> so we heard like everything within you know the black diaspora of music and then i got everything that was in pop culture that was coming up thanks to you know
0: MTV VH1 BET being on the rise gotcha um what's the earliest musical memory you can find if you try to dig back to your young childhood did my psychologist send you this is a very big question i'm not sure i know the answer to that one the earliest
1: musical memory it, oh gosh! I if really you can't don't know, remember it, then you don't have that memory. Well, or 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 do I have it and it's just locked away somewhere? <laughs> That's where we're at for with reasons this show, Joshua. Johnson. That <laughs> remain unclear. See, your my therapist did send you and tell you to ask me this. You're
0: not the first person who said that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, other than like singing along with silly songs in elementary school, um, you know, I, I I think it was the music that I heard on TV, like hearing, you know. Billie Jean by Michael Jackson or Walk This Way by Run DMC or like that first round of music videos that actually became big hits because they weren't just on the radio. They were on mainstream television. Granted, MTV was not mainstream television when it debuted in 1981. But it was something that the mainstream couldn't ignore. And the fact that it was not on Johnny Carson, but it was on MTV, Mm -hmm. made waves. Hmm. And everybody's kids were listening, but their parents refused. You know, Mm -hmm. Beastie Boys, You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party was one of these things that you would, you know, you'd see Dan Rather do a report about the latest wave in hip-hop music as parents (laughs) across the country are very concerned. What is this new music and what will it mean for your children? We have a report now from CBS Corp. And that's how it kind of made waves as this threat, you know, uh, D-Snyder and Twisted Sisters uh-huh. singing We're not gonna Yeah, that was ta- one of my first tapes. <laughs> right. And but it was it was kind of the fact that this was music your parents did not listen to that made it something people paid attention to. I grew up at a time when it was just the music. I mean, right. asking someone my age like, "Do you listen to hip hop?" is like asking does your body require oxygen to live. Right, it just right.
0: was it, it just was. Was there any dissonance in your household between your parents and you because of that what you just described? Not, Sounds like they may have been sort of cool with what you were wanting we, to listen to. We were kind to. of
1: on the same page. I don't recall there being much discord uh, about music except for like like the really dirty stuff like when two live crew hit the scene and right. two live crew that was kind miami. of the
0: epicenter over there yeah Yeah. exactly because
1: we're from west palm beach or we lived in west palm beach they were right down the road in miami two live crew was the dirtiest remember when two live crew was the dirtiest thing in all of music oh yeah it seems like a life like a, a generations ago but yeah other than something that was that far over the line We were pretty much – we were pretty much on the same page.
0: We had a guest on this show maybe 25, 30 episodes ago, a local guy named Joshua – no, no, um, Anderson. Justin Anderson. Justin Anderson. Thank you, Richard, Uh, whose dad was Judge Isaac Anderson who was the judge who presided over the ruling against Two Live Crew. Oh, wow. Yeah. Small world. Very small. <laughs> um, music being played on instruments, where did that fit into your early world? I had piano lessons as a
1: kid. I was not good, nor was I patient. So that didn't last very long, uh, which I think, <laughs> I think became a, a theme in my career because at one point I was in college as a motion pictures major. Oh, okay. And I was OK at making movies on film, but they took too long to make. And so I was like, broadcasting, broadcasting. Broadcasting is instantaneous. Yeah. I'm going to go back to my love of broadcasting. And so that became my degree instead of motion pictures. But I, I had—I always had a musical education. I sang in the church choir growing up. I sang in a multicultural youth choir, like a community choir when I was little. Uh, I sang around the house. I sang on stage. So you know, I was always musical. I just wasn't – I was a vocalist. I wasn't an instrumentalist.
0: You didn't want to have to put the time in. Well,
1: I didn't mind putting the time in vocally. Right, it's just right. instrumental – I didn't have the affinity for it, but I I played around with piano, I played around with guitar. I had to know a little piano in college because I sang jazz in college for about a year and a half. And so that's how you practiced. You went into a piano practice room and you kinda of plunked out the notes and learned your your part of the arrangement. So I know enough to get around. I can read sheet music, I can kinda of sight read. Okay. But, you know, I, I was never, you know I, I was never talented enough to pick up a piece of music. And like run with it the way that a musician, yeah. capital M musician, could do.
0: So you sang jazz in college?
1: I did. I was part <laughs> of the Jazz Vocal Ensemble 2. There were three. Um, JV 1 was for like the jazz majors. I was in JV 2, which was for people who were or were not jazz majors but who could sing. And I did that at the University of Miami while I was doing my degree in my my other stuff. Uh, I had taken enough IB and AP courses that I could skip taking English, Spanish or history in college. So that gave me room for electives. And one of the electives I wanted was jazz. One was musical theater. So I did that in college. Um, But because I was a broadcasting student, I had to put more energy into producing work in the School of Communication so I could only ever be on the technical crew of the musicals. I know every lyric to A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum – I never got to play pseudolus, so <laughs> I, it's I, it was kind of like okay, fine, I'll I'll let you be the star this time. I'll get my chance later.
0: Was music or performing part of your like um, elementary, middle, or high school experience, or was that just only once you got to the University of Miami?
1: Recitals in elementary school, you know, the Easter and the Christmas Day event in church. Middle school, kind of. I went to a performing arts middle school in Palm Beach County, what is now the Bach Middle School of the Arts and the Dreyfus School of the Arts, the middle and the high school. I was there when it was all one campus. And the campus was like my neighborhood. So it was my neighborhood school. Oh, wow. And so when you got in in seventh grade, you had to do kind of nine weeks of all the other four art areas other than your own. So I did some music and I did some theater and I was a communication student even then. So I got got to do a little bit of everything then.
0: sounds like you got a lot of uh, musical and uh, uh, performance and art layers in there, Joshua Johnson. Is that true?
1: Yeah. I always got – I got a lot of music. I got a lot of art. I got a lot of math and science because I was involved with a group called SECME, which is geared toward students of color who are interested in careers in science and engineering. So I was part of that. Um, I was always active in the community. So I was part of community groups. Um, my mother was a school librarian and she always did a display for Black History Month about black inventors. So I always had that in my background. So I got a, I got a very eclectic kind of renaissance man education from a really young age on purpose. My, my family wanted to make sure I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of things so that kind of regardless of where life took me, I would have – I wouldn't be afraid of something – that was new or that was different gotcha Um, do you remember the first music you owned was I don't I I remember having a bunch of cassettes that were like from the family I think the first CD I actually bought was Simple Pleasures by Bobby McFerrin which is the CD that Don't Worry Be Happy is on right right because I was so kind of dumbfounded by the fact that he could do that thing with his voice Uh and he really can if you ever see him live in concert he does all of that That I was like, I think I'm going to buy that. And I bought the CD. It wasn't because that was the kind of music that I centered around. But the video was funny. You know, Mm -hmm. it had uh, uh, Robin Williams and Bobby McFerrin and one other performer in it. And I just was like, okay, I'm going to buy that one. And listening to that album kind of gave me a sense of all the intricacy that you can do with music and how kind of you can play around on different motifs and the different feels and styles. And, you know, it was – it appealed to the part of my brain that likes to take things apart Mm -hmm. and see how they work Mm -hmm. and then put them back together. So when I encounter it again, I don't just see it as a whole. I see it as a sum of parts that makes sense in a different way. And that album kind of appealed to me in that way.
0: I like that a lot. Um, Mixtapes.
1: I didn't make a lot of mixtapes. I um, had some mixtapes that came from others. I don't remember – I don't remember making a lot of mixtapes until – Digital music until like Napster allowed me to make playlists. Yeah, yeah. I I do remember, you know, being at radio stations in the community, either that I was volunteering at or that, you know, I was on a teen talk panel or whatever, and kind of watching the way they put music together or the way they would go from a song to another song to a host break to underwrite or to a commercial spot. To, you know, a call from a listener to – and, you know, to hitting the the legal idea at the top of the hour and then into another – like what song makes sense at the top of the hour as opposed to later on kind of the mood of the way you yeah, structure yeah. an hour. So I, the way that I thought of it was always through the lens of of radio and television because that was my fascination. I've always been fascinated with broadcasting since I was probably five, which is as far back as I can like consciously, logically remember. So for me, music existed in the context of radio and television more than in the context of just albums and CDs. I had a big, you know, almost big Discman cases of like twenty CDs you could carry around, but. That was kind of like, what do I feel like listening to today as opposed to how do I understand
0: music? Well, we'll get into that nexus between music and media and (laughs) broadcasting. But let's get to your first uh, song right now. What is it? uh, Why is it? What is the story? How do you want to tee this up? It
1: is the song that I sang at my mother's wedding in 2005 when she got married to my now stepdad, Theo Harris. And I picked it because it was a song I thought was a good reflection of them. Two people who had known each other since I was a little kid and waited until the right time to finally, you know, declare their love for one another and marry. They are still together. And this is Ordinary People by John Legend.
0: All right. Well, let's listen to it. Uh, This is uh, Ordinary People, John Legend. And this is from his 2004 album, Get Lifted. You can sing pretty good.
1: Just like John Legend. That was me the <laughs> whole time. I don't know why you...
0: Well, I wish that we had a secondary microphone in the studio to let the no, listeners No, I'm scratchy.
1: Here. I'm not warmed up and...
0: No, but yeah, yeah. You were... you. Uh, yeah, sounds like you've got some chops. Why did you pick that song for them?
1: Well, because they had known each other since I was like 10. Because she... They both worked in the Palm Beach County Public School System... You know, my mother and my father divorced when I was five, he was married, and so there was there were pre-existing kind of factors or extenuating circumstances that prevented them from being together, but they always kind of knew each other and they had waited a long time and then once the the decks were kind of cleared, they entered into a relationship and they had waited quite some time. So the theme of the song made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And when they got married, I picked that song because it like – it made sense. It felt very, very real. It didn't have that kind of – you know you know how love songs can be schmaltzy in a way that just kind of ignores the reality of the fact that, that sometimes I'm not going to like you. Yeah. Like at all, at all, at all. Yeah. But I don't always have to like you to love you. Mm-hmm. And because we've taken it slow, we've been able – to To build a framework where I don't always have to feel like I got to love you and like you all at the same time all every day. Like, we can have a relationship that's that's real. And the relationship they had always felt very, very real. And it felt kind of logical and obvious and easy in that, like, Cliff and Claire Huxtable kind of way, mm-hmm. but not because it was fictional. It bec- It was because it was, like, it was a— it It was a slow cook it mm. wasn't it was foundational in a way that a lot of relationships aren't, and they kind of make perfect sense to me
0: as a hmm. couple uh when you sang that, was that like acapella? did you have a little like karaoke? Oh track no, no, you? I had a little
1: karaoke track,
0: okay, yeah, paint a little picture for us in radioland I mean you would have been what twenty four Twenty-five. Twenty-five. We were – was you know, an outdoor was wedding. We
1: were outside, you know, kind of – I think we were in – was it Singer Island, I believe? Well, kind of near the beach. And so we were in, you know, the big tent and the people sitting around and at circular tables and there was a DJ booth. And so I stood up and I was in the middle of I guess what later became the dance floor and I, I sang – and Were I'm, you
0: nervous? or
1: No, performing doesn't really make me nervous. I was more just kind of saying to myself, like, it's just a song. Right. Just sing it. Yeah. Don't let
0: the emotion creep up and overwhelm me.
1: Right. And I'm good at doing that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got to the point where I'm able to, when something is emotional, say, especially on the show, like, it's just another day at the office. Right. This is just another day at the office. Mm-hmm. Just do your job. It's Just sing the song. Just do it. It's fine. And I I made it all the way through the song. Had some slightly different, you know, flourishes than, than John Legend's performance. But it, it went fine. And when the song was over, she gave me a big hug. And, uh-huh. Oh, it was so beautiful. so sweet. And,
0: you know, and off they went. Have you ever seen John Legend live or even maybe met him through your wish? No, know, I wish.
1: I am, I am not cool enough to have met John Legend yet. <laughs> that day will come, I hope. But, no, I haven't had the, I haven't had the pleasure yet.
0: Where does karaoke fit into your worldview?
1: Uh, I'm for it. If that's what you're asking, I have no <laughs> political or religious objections but to karaoke. You, but you do it,
0: you will not The shy team away. at 1A is
1: dying to do a karaoke night. I think they're just wanting to get up there and see what I do to kind of see what I'm like when I'm not being, you know... The hard nosed guy who has to host the show. I they're they're gonna they're gonna make me do it sooner or later. But you I hear think that one
0: team? They, I know.
1: I am on to you. I am on to all of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've we've been, we've been, we've, been kicking, we've been kicking around the idea of uh, getting our first year guests back
0: together. We're going to invite everybody for a karaoke party. So you might have okay. to be come hey, down for you that. You will. Yeah, you'll have to be
1: yeah. in it. Yeah. Close I just it. check my schedule <laughs> in my hedges now. Oh, we'll
0: just schedule around
1: it. Yeah, I might have strep throat that week. So uh,
0: where does music? Well, real quick, go to karaoke song if you're going to do it. My go-to karaoke song? Yeah, like song? if you're going to stroll in, if you've got like 10 seconds to pick. Oh, I'm going to say,
1: I don't, I don't know. Um, my go-to karaoke song used to be Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye because um, as a t- skinny 22-year-old with zero sex appeal, I could rock the hell out of that song and have <laughs> the women in the back of the room going, Oh, <laughs> So that was my hit. I think if I had to do it now, um, I don't, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's okay, a tough one. Nice Maybe something from Hamilton? If it's on there, because I know all of Hamilton. Maybe something from Hamilton. I'm just not sure what. You know, Hamilton just opened at Tampa, right up the road. For yes. Like this weird, like they sprung at the stress it on center. Us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe something from Hamilton.
0: Um, uh, where does music fit into your life these days, and what do you listen to it on? I listen to
1: it a lot. Um, I listen on my laptop and on my phone in the car, and I listen at work. You know, I I listen to music every morning when we're prepping the show, when I'm writing the the top of the show and going over the scripts for each day. And it just—it depends on what I'm listening to. I usually listen to music. I'm usually up at 6 and we're in the office at 8 because our morning editorial meeting is at 8 a.m. And I usually listen to music from 6 to 7 and then listen to morning edition from 7 to 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't start my day with news mm-hmm. because I'm inundated with so much of it all day that I don't want to begin the day that way. Uh, and what I listen to kind of varies. it It's usually something kind of – in the background, it might be some kind of very contemporary jazz like Kate Dunstan or Eldar Jangaroff or Avi Shai Cohen, the late bassist Avi Shai Cohen, something that's, that's kind of modern and contemporary but background, usually not something lyrical. But it depends. Um, when you, I'm in the shower, you? I will listen to lyrical music because it gives me a sense of, like, time. Right. Like, each song is about three minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so it helps me kind of gauge, like, okay, like I've got this many minutes to make the walk to work. But from 7 to 8, it's usually morning edition. And then when I'm writing, it's, you know, Count Basie or, you know.
0: Are you picking music that from your catalog or are you relying on, you know, one of the streaming places that you can give them, you know, Pandora? I usually or... listen to Pandora
1: in my office. Okay. Uh, I have Sirius XM. I have the app. Um, I don't have it in my car. I just kind of plug my iPhone in. And I have Spotify. So it kind of depends on if I know what I want to listen to. I also have a few songs, um, and I guess it's one of the other songs I could have picked, that I've listened to over the years when I was thinking about, like, one day I'm going to have a show, one day I'm going to have a show, that I thought if I had a show today, this would be the theme.
0: What was that song?
1: They varied over the years. Oh, they have okay. varied dramatically. Um, Love Island by Fat Boy Slim was one of them. Uh, something Different to Say by Aether Fox was one of them. And if you Google this, it's weird. Like it will give you lyrics for a song that's not the song I was thinking of. So you might have to hunt for it. Um, Winds of Change by St. Lucia is is one of them. Um, Omi by George Duke is one of them. O-M-I. Uh, Freshwater by George Duke is one of them. Um, it's varied. It's just something that feels like a kind of a ladies and gentlemen, please welcome – Bam! Kind of a song.
0: Where did the 1A theme song come
1: from? 1A's theme song was composed by a guy named Will Eastman, who is a DJ and a club owner in Washington. Our executive producer, Rupert Allman, made contact with him and asked him if he would help compose the theme. He gave us a piece of music that he had written that he was going to be on uh, one of his new albums that was very ethereal. Same melody, but very ethereal and very light. And we worked with him to kind of remix it. I... I urged him and he followed all of our notes to give us a few design elements. For example, I wanted a space at the top where I could write the hook to the show before the theme begins. Kind of like Morning Edition's theme mm-hmm. where the theme begins and there's that space before they say Morning Edition from NPR News and then da 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 it comes up in the clear. So I needed space for that. So just structurally, it needed to be less than a minute long because the the opening of a of an NPR program, which is called The Billboard, the part that plays before the newscast. The Billboard is no longer than 59 seconds, so we can be in silence when you hear live from NPR News in Washington, I'm. So our theme is 55 seconds, I think. And I wanted it to be the only NPR theme with a baseline. Like I wanted people to be able to, to thump the themed 1A in their car, because I don't want you to lean back when you hear the show. I don't want you feeling like we are going to go on an intellectual and thoughtful journey through the pantheon of ideas and thoughts and of the culture of the day. It's just too... Although it might still turn out to be that. Yeah, but it's not... <laughs> it might, but like, I, it's so... It's I too, know, Yeah. I, know, I, okay, I don't yeah, want yeah. the show to feel
0: yeah, highfalutin.
1: Yeah. I don't want it to feel so fancy that everyday people don't feel like they can listen. And let's be honest, like, hip-hop is the soundtrack, one of the many soundtracks of this country, but... Hip-hop is a primary soundtrack of the country. So having a song, a theme with a bass line that's got a beat that's got horns in it and and, and a, a drum line like that gets under your skin in a way that allows us to to get into your mind. If we can get into your heart, you'll let us into your head. But if we try to start with your head, it's harder. I'd rather start with your heart and give you something emotional that you feel because then it opens you right up and then – we got you. We can tell you a story.
0: You're like giving us the engine of 1A, Joshua Johnson, well, right there on the radio. Well, but
1: that's, that's, <laughs> I, that's the way the show was built. I mean no, I uh, love it's, it. it's, it's not just – I mean anyone can do a talk show. But the thing I think that makes 1A really work is that it is a vehicle for good storytelling, that we want, sh- ta- we want every show to have an arc. So we want to start somewhere, ascend, travel, and then land somewhere different from where we began so that when you come away from it, you're like, wow, it's over already. That's the goal. We never want you to just kind of put us on in the background Mm -hmm. in that kind of I listen to NPR all day kind of way. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful that you listen to WGCU and that that's kind of your constant companion. But, you know, we spent days (laughs) putting this show together. We want you to pay attention. So the music is our first tool to lock you in so you are not just – Hearing us, you're listening. You're engaged and we got you. And then through the hour, there are little moments where we build it in where I still have to go over here. Oh, come, follow the bunny back to me because I know, you know, you're human. You'll drift. You're busy. You're doing stuff. You get a notification on your phone. You're flipping channels on your TV, which is on mute. And so everything around the show is designed to keep you listening. Even some of the music that we use to go to breaks – is designed to kind of let you know we put some thought and some love into this show. And this is not something you just want to receive on autopilot.
0: How much is what 1A is today, what you set out to make, and how much of it is what it's turned into having done it now for two years?
1: Well, when we set out to make the show, we knew we wanted to make something that was in the legacy of the Diane Rehm show. We wanted to build on that legacy and not just build over it. So we wanted to have a space for civil conversation. We wanted to have a space where double talk is not welcome. We wanted to have a space where we could be very eclectic in the subject matter that we pursue. And we wanted to have a space where everyone was welcome because we were coming off of an election where a lot of Americans were just furious with one another and couldn't talk to each other. So we figured we'll make a space where everyone can talk to us. Over time, it's become clear that our phenomenal team of producers was very much committed to that but also had so many other interests in the world and were just so intellectually curious that they could tell stories about things that you didn't necessarily know you wanted to talk about. And by doing that, we make it so that every day can be an adventure, right? You know we're going to cover the news. If the big news has to be talked about today, we'll we'll do that. But we make it so that you never feel like you have to come in with your your protective pads and your boxing gloves on. You can just come in, sit down. We're going to have a worthwhile conversation with interesting people that you wouldn't normally get to talk to. You're going to be a key, essential, vital part of the conversation. And by the end of it, you'll come away with something that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So – We knew what we would have liked it to be. Over time, we found certain elements like the 1A Movie Club, the listener-driven shows that begin each year, the series on Motherhood that we did last year, which was amazingly valuable, that have just kind of – made the show rich in ways that even we couldn't have predicted.
0: Hmm. Uh, do you guys ever do live music? I tried to seek back through my catalog of having listened, we, and I'm not sure if I could remember any or we not. We have
1: once or twice. There is a performance studio in our building at WAMU. It's, it's a few floors up from where we are. We've used it maybe once or twice. We did have um, August Green, which is the musical collective of the rapper Common, uh, Kareem Riggins and Robert Glasper. And the three of them came to our studio and Common freestyled on the show live. and I
0: remember that now. Yeah, that you're and he yeah. threw in
1: references to 1A during the freestyle, and, like, he he killed it. I, I could not stay cool after that for, for <laughs> more than just a few seconds before I was like, wow! So we've had a, some live on the show. Um, we've had a, a, a few live performances. We had one, uh, one of our guests, uh, we did a show about the – Cartoon Network series Steven Universe and one of our guests performed a song from Steven Universe live on the air at the end of the show so we do occasionally we'd like to do more but we just haven't built, been able to build it
0: in yet understood okay it's time for song number two S- song where number two where are we two. going we're going to
1: Disney World <laughs> literally whenever I and I'm, I love theme parks we used to go to Disney World pretty much every year from probably age three or four so I love those parks. I love Universal. I love theme parks and every year when I was little when we would go to Walt Disney World as we're driving into the gates this song always came on the radio. It wasn't just coincidentally? Scene. It I I I don't think it was coincidentally. I think it was God's will. That song was there to welcome me to my happy place. Every time we went to Disney World this is what played.
0: When was the last time you listened to that song? Mindfully, you know, and December
1: <laughs> when I went to Universal Orlando with my friend oh, Rob. So now
0: you're popping it in as you're going. Through I was the game. like, you
1: need to know this about me. This is part of my history. And so I played it as we were like crossing Major Boulevard into the into the resort. I was like, this always played on the radio. I'm so excited, and I played it for him. And he's like, you're 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 a nerd. I was like, I'm such a nerd, but I
0: love it <laughs> when you think back to having listened to it as a kid. Is there a car you were in that you can picture for us? What was y'all's road trip car? We usually rent a minivan oh, okay. or something. And I,
1: I don't think we – I don't think we drove our car often, but it was – it just it, – it just played. It just played. And then I remember going under that arch that says, welcome to Walt Disney World. and Like you start to – you can see Spaceship Earth at Epcot from a distance. And then later on you could see, you know, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, previously Disney MGM Studios. And like you could see everything. You could also see – Construction where yeah. it didn't quite look perfect and it was always right. kind of like, hmm, that's not that's, – that's not that doesn't look like I'm on an escapade at, at all. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about this that I kind of took from this that relates to me and my work is the way that like the story of me going to Disney World began when we drove in. Like it was the first thing that we encountered immediately. As soon as you're visible – The story starts and that's the way the park is designed. If you ask anyone who works there, like they will tell you that the whole thing – That's being done on purpose. It's all being done on purpose and I didn't know it as a kid. I would later understand it as an adult because I am a theme park geek and I wanted to know – tell me how everything works and I found out how everything works. But the fact that it was intentional as someone who would eventually go into communication as a career – was a good lesson for me that the story of whatever it is you're presenting doesn't begin when you say it starts. It begins the minute that your audience encounters you in whatever way they encounter you. So take 1A. It doesn't start when I say, this is 1A, I'm Joshua Johnson in Washington. It starts on the first note of the billboard. And whatever I say in those seven seconds before I say from WAMU and NPR in Washington, this is 1A. Or maybe it starts with the promo that you heard right? Those 22 seconds of text that have got to get you to stay. Or maybe it starts with a link you saw on Facebook. Or maybe it starts with you seeing me on Meet the Press. And you're like, oh, I like what that guy said. 1A. I've never heard. Let me Google that. And then you find out who I am. The story of who you are starts the minute you're visible, not the minute you decide it starts. And for me, it just kind of fired my imagination of all these different ways that we show people Who and what we are. You know, the fact that there are people who walk around the park that pick up trash in those little white uniforms is nice. But really, if you're a cast member, whoever you are, it's your job to pick trash up because that little piece of trash flaws the image for somebody. Now, this can make you crazy (laughs) if you are overly worried about it. But it also – Is just one of those ways you show a higher level of care in what you do and the more that I got into journalism, the more that I got into broadcasting, the more intolerant I became of people who didn't put care into the work that they did. What do you mean you don't care about the details? I know it's just a radio script. Sorry, there might be some typos in it. I don't spell very well. Well, go spell check this little piece of tripe and bring it back to me when you're done. Because if you'll leave the typos in there, what the hell else is wrong with your script? Show some care. I interviewed the head of Miami-Dade County's Aviation Department once, the guy who runs Miami International Airport. They did a study, or he mentioned a study that was done, of the things in an airport that make people feel safe. What do you think is the number one thing, according to the study, that makes someone feel safe? In an airport.
0: Uh, The presence of security? No. No. Um, Pleasant music in the background? No. Um, I don't know. Clean bathrooms. Okay. Because
1: if the bathrooms are not cared for, what else is wrong? Hmm it begins to erode confidence in little ways and you and I both know because we work in the public eye or the public ear that those little things, man, it's just, it's the little stuff. It's the little indignities. It's the little slights. It's the little ways in which, you know, customer service isn't good the way it used to or the quality of writing isn't as sharp as it was or the the expertise of the reporter just is shallower th- than it was five years ago or ten years ago. It's that little thing, you know, the, the snack they give you on the flight is just a little bit smaller, or the cereal you get in the box is just a little bit thinner and the price is a little higher, or the entertainment used to be more fun, but now they're just kind of going through the motions. All those little things erode trust. And if you take those little things seriously, trust skyrockets, partly because it's eroding everywhere else. So for me, that song as a touch point was like, whenever I hear that song, it just fills me with happiness. Mm. It reminds me like, this is going to be good from beginning to end. I am going to love this. And sure enough, last time we went to the park, we had a great time. Everything was fun. The staff was great. The food was good. The rides were fun. We got in, we got out. We did everything we wanted to do in two days. It was amazing. And it just, it, it makes me mindful. It's difficult and sometimes it's stressful, but in those stressful moments, it rem- it it reminds me that the details Matter, you sweat the small stuff because that's where trust lives. That's where quality lives. That's where relationship lives. It's, it's the little things you do that make something special, not the big things.
0: Hmm. Is that a philosophy that you were taught or you developed? Probably. It's a
1: bit of both. You know, there's there's a Bible verse that says if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. And you know, pennies make dollars. It's it's in how you save your money. You know, it's it's you know, my family's saying, you know, pick that penny up. Well choose the penny. Well, pennies make dollars. Go pick up that penny and mm. save it somewhere. It, and you you see it. You know, even my grandmother, my grandmother is rough on a restaurant. You don't want to go to a restaurant with my grandmother because she knows how to cook. And so she can tell if the soup was homemade or if it came out of a can. She would look at the windowsill, right? At the little window frame, and if there was dust. A layer of dust on the window frame. I remember we went to one restaurant, she's like, we ain't eating here. We're like, what? She said, this place is dirty. Look at the window frame. We ain't eating here. Well, it's just, it's just one little no, we come on. We come on, we're going somewhere else. And we would pile back in the car. We'd be like, I'm sorry, your windows are <laughs> dirty. We can't eat your food. We gotta go. Because even she knew yeah. there was a standard you had to set. And you can't just treat my family any old way, right? We came here for good service. You don't get to just take my money. And make me pay full price for half service. Uh Uh-uh. That's not an even swap. If we pay full price, you got to give me full service. And that's something that my family insisted on from a very early age. Not in a snooty way, but just in a way of like, this is the way you ought to treat people. If Mm -hmm. people are paying you full price for something, you ought to...
0: You ought to make it worth worth the money they spend. Hmm, I love that. Um, We are heading toward the end of the hour, so we must move on to song three. Yes. It is what?
1: It is a song that I did not know I was allowed to, like... And after hearing it, after those two lovely, pleasant songs, there might be some people in the audience who
0: decide they don't like me anymore,
1: or that they're like, I can't believe you would play this song in in the middle of the day and put this in my ears. I can't believe you would. It was a song that sparked a tremendous amount of fear for me and a lot of soul searching for me, and that I think probably had a lot to do with me getting to where I am today and being able to do the work that I do now. And it's... It's not a song I would have expected to mean that much, but boy, does it mean a lot.
0: Okay, well, let's listen to it. Then we'll dig into a little bit of the why behind the uh, the what after it. This is uh, uh, "Enter Sandman" by Metallica from their 1991 self-titled album, also known as the Black Album. It is Joshua Johnson's third song on today's episode of Three Song Store. Brace yourself. I just, I wanted to mention, you know, uh, I, I'm i so happy that you picked that. Um,
1: I know you said you were happy to make people on NPR listen to Metallica. <laughs> just a little, I'd get a little bit of a kick out of that, that. was yeah. That was also, it, this is the first song that we've had... Uh, duplicate songs. Really?
0: Um, you, you are the first person to pick a song that's already picked, and it was three my. Songs times fifty f- three episodes. songs times fifty three episodes, and you are the first duplicate. Yeah, and that and that was my first song. So I'm so. I, thank you I so knew much. there was something I liked about you. Yeah, this is the best day. <laughs> You're a Thanks. wise man. Yes.
1: So <laughs> the reason this was one of my songs is that when this song came out, when this album came out in '91, I was 11 years old. I was a skinny little black boy who discovered, you know, Metallica. And this was the first time in my whole life I remember being afraid to like something or connect with something because I was black. This was the first thing I can ever remember thinking, black folks don't do this. And I didn't tell a soul. And it wasn't until the album Load came out in the mid-90s that I bought that album at a really tough point in my life. And then I went back and bought the Black Album, bought the next album, Reload. I haven't bought all the albums since, like St. Anger and Hardwired to Self-Destruct. But my love of hard rock and heavy metal goes back to when I was young. But like, you hit it. I, well, but yeah, and I hit it because it was one of the first things that I was like, I don't know anyone else who does this. Like hip-hop, obviously. Hard rock, heavy metal, that's white people's music. That's what white people listen to. But you know something else that I'm glad I didn't grow up thinking white people listen to? NPR
0: Hmm.
1: because my mother turned me on to NPR. That's why I'm here because I had a black role model for that and it was my primary role model. And as a journalist, as an interviewer, as I've kind of come up, it's always been important to me to make space for people to be what they are because I remember vividly what it's not okay. for me to be into, whether it's because I'm black or I'm gay or I you know, was raised in the Baptist church or I'm from the South or you know, whatever. These things, these boundaries that we put up for one another, the work we do on 1A is designed to get through those and to just see people as they are and not judge them for what they are regardless of what they are. I've had conversations with all kinds of people, but I don't think I ever would have built that skill set If I hadn't fought through the fear of whether or not I am showing off the black excellence that I was raised that I had to show off at all times because we are counting on you. If I could be that person and also love metal, if I could be that person and also, you know, for those of you who have never seen me, I have a mohawk and also have that and be that person and also be Me, be 100% me. It's one of the great injustices of racism is that it forces us into boxes that we build to defend ourselves, but those fortifications become cages. They prevent us from being the fullness of who we are. And I had to go through a long process that I'm still working through, frankly, to be able to just say, look, this is me. This is all of me. You don't have to like me But I have to like me. Hmm. And so, you know, show up or don't. But whether you show up or not, this is me. Hmm. And if there's room for me to be who I am, then as a journalist, there will always be room for me to let
0: you be who you are. Well, we are out of time, but I'm going to throw a couple questions at you. Hit it. Um, Dancing. Yes, no. Hell yes. Okay. Are you crazy? Yes. TV theme songs committed to memory. And if you got one, can you give it to us? Yeah.
1: You know that one? No. Arsenio Hall. Oh, I
0: was looking for lyrics. Oh, see? (laughs)
1: That'll teach you. Yeah, yeah. Uh Well,
0: no, I appreciate
1: that. Well, I I can't hum the Cosby Show lyric anymore because that would have been my number one. But, you know, God rest Bill Cosby's career. So that one is walled off Okay.
0: Uh, Last question. Are there any songs that you will avoid listening to for whatever reason? Either because of the style or the memory they might associate.
1: Uh, there are two. Uh, Somewhere I Belong by Lincoln Park always makes me cry. And Kissing You by Desiree makes me cry because it reminds me of the first time I fell in love and it ended very, very tragically. We were I... separated by the homophobia of his, po- his father who was so homophobic. He sent his son away to live with family in the Middle East. Hmm. It, is the, it was the first experience I had falling in love.
0: All right, Joshua Johnson, that's all the time we have. Do you have any final thoughts? Thanks for letting me rock out with you. And, yeah, uh, thanks and for we, doing and it. And on behalf
1: of the management of WGCU, we apologize for blowing out your eardrums with that last song. But not really. But thanks for thanks for letting me play some music with you it's been fun
0: no thank you so much uh we make this show in the wgcu studios on the campus of florida gulf coast university in fort myers florida richard Kui is co-creator and producer tara calligan is online content producer Duffis is executive producer our theme song was created by dave 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 cowan and stick martin at monkey house studio up in st pete for fans of this show there's no parting tune this week because we're live on the air but we're going to go out with our theme song so thanks Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. There you go. What's that? that? Uh, Where did I come from? Taking your way in New the world, world. today. Takes it's not going to work. It's got. not going to work. I'm just going to sit yeah, here and watch he you make a jackass of yourself. <laughs>